message from Valley Bible Fellowship. It is our sincere prayer that you're richly blessed through the ministry of the Word. For more information about VBF, visit our website at vbf.org. Now, here's Pastor Ron Bietti. God's always up to something good. Is that right? How are y'all doing today? We're going to get a little heavy today, so I want to start out with something kind of funny. This elderly lady had always wanted an older Volkswagen. And she was new to the tech world and stuff, and she saw one, her friend showed her how to order it online. They brought the Volkswagen out, they parked in front of her house, gave her the keys, she paid them, went out to start her new Volkswagen, got it, and it wouldn't start. She didn't know what to do. She was sitting there baffled, she got out of the car looking at it. About that time, another older lady drove by in a Volkswagen and stopped and said, what's the matter? So my Volkswagen won't start. So they both went and raised the hood, and the older lady looked at her and said, where's your problem? You have no motor. I don't. He says, no problem. I have a spare one in my trunk. <laughs> oh, dear me. Fair started. You're here. How many of you went to the fair already? Yeah. Some of you are. How many are not going? Uh, we have a booth out there. Did you see our booth? Did they tell you in announcements, we got a booth at the fair. Be sure and stop by and see our booth. Um, and so today, let's get down to business. Uh, Father God, anoint this study on hidden things matter. God, anoint me with your spirit. Speak to every person in here, even for people that aren't going through any bad times right now. They need to hear this and be prepared. So guide and lead us now in Jesus' name. Everybody say Amen. We're going to continue basically talking about mental health issues. ABC News said something this week that kind of concerned me. So we're having such an epidemic of mental health issues today that there's not enough doctors to deal with it. That's pretty crazy. If you would see, every time the last three weeks that I've said I'm going to speak on this, people are writing me going, man, I need this, I need this, I'll be there, this is, this is my situation, it, it's, it's off the chart. And so we're going to talk again today. This might be the last day, we might do one more, I think we might end it up today. If you haven't heard the first two studies, you have to hear them, because today I'm going to move on. Let's look at some verses real quick. First Peter 5 and 7, First Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. This is supposed to be something we're doing every day. You don't let worries get the best of you. Last week, I had a little experiment with you. I did a thing with balloons, and uh, we had fun with it. A lady wrote me and said, there was a leak in my balloon, and I thought about this. You cast your anxiety on the Lord. As I went through last week and I gave you some situations, I said, if this is true of you, blow your balloon up. For example, are you having health issues? It went back down. Let's try it again. When you're walking with the Lord, that's the way it's supposed to be. 
You can't let it build up until it pops, right? So the lady that wrote me, I thought, that's a good illustration. If we're doing this thing right and we're walking in fellowship with the Lord and we're dealing with these things, as soon as they came on, come on the scene, it's going to be like the balloon with a hole in it. Let's look at Isaiah 41.10. Do not fear, for I am with you. The great healers with us. Do not anxiously look about you, for I'm your God. I will strengthen you. Surely I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. You got to claim that as truth today. Latch on to it. Jonah 2, 5, and 7. Here's another guy that battled with depression. Water encompassed me to the point of death. The great deep engulfed me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I descended to the roots of the mountains. The earth with its bars was around me forever. But you have brought my life up from the pit, O Lord my God. While I was fainting away, I did what? What did he do? What did he do? While I was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went out to him in his holy temple. And of course, he saved me. Matthew 28, 11, 28 through 30. Come to me, every one of you who are weary and heavy laden. Now, what well, says, come to him. How many of us have not come to him with our depression? Many Christians don't come. When I say come to him, there's also words, cry out, cry out. Don't come to him and go, dear Lord, I'm here today. And Lord, I'm going through a rough time. No, come to him and say, Father, help me. I'm dying in this depression. I'm dying in this grief. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you what? This is the Word of God. This is the Word of God. Come to me. Come to me every morning, every night, and cry out, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. That's what we're doing today. I'm gentle and humble here, and you'll find rest for your soul. Please, please, if you haven't been with us, I'm empathetic. I know depression's horrible. I know and I feel so bad for you. It took everything maybe you had to get out of bed this morning. You see life going on, but you don't have a life. And it's real, and it's a sickness. I empathize with you, but I have to come up here and give you the answer. I've got to point you toward God. You can't stay the way you are. You've got to come to God and ask Him for a miracle. The other 28, 30, we didn't finish it. Matthew 11, 28 through 30. Let's go back. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. My yoke is easy, my burden is light. Now today we're going to leave Elijah and we're going to look at the life of David. This guy went through so much turmoil in his life. And yet, yet... He died with a song in his heart. You can read about it. David's last song. The title says David's last song in 2 Samuel chapter 23. Now, let's look at what David said to his son before he died. See, if you want to see how a person lived, look at their death. And here's Samuel, uh, excuse me, David talking to his son Solomon, 1 Kings 2, 1 through 3. As David's Time to die drew near. He charged Solomon, his son, saying, I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God. Keep his commandments. 
walk in his ways. Keep his statutes, son. Keep his commandments. Keep his ordinances, his testimonies. Keep them. Keep them, son. Don't, don't, don't fall away from God. Do everything that's written in the law of Moses that you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Mm. Now, this was not only the words of a survivor, but much more than that. This man right here, man who learned the secret of walking with God through turmoil, inner struggles, time of grief, fear, depression, pain, this man learned. And he reflects it in his dying years. I mean, I don't know of any man in the Bible that probably went through as much conflict with inner turmoil than this guy. And a lot of it we don't see him writing about, but we know that we know that we know because we know humanity and we know what we go through. For example, this guy had four of his sons die before him. I can't even imagine. I can't imagine one child dying. Four? He stood there at the funeral of four of his boys. I can't even imagine how much depression that would want to bring with it. Losing one child is absolutely horrible. Max Lucado, he's one of my favorite writers. He has this book, and it's called Facing Your Giants. And he has one chapter devoted to unspeakable grief. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to read a page of this chapter for you. Max Lucado says, bereavement comes from the word reeve. Look up Reeve in the dictionary and you'll read, to take away by force, to plunder, to rob. He says, death robs you. The grave plunders moments and memories not yet shared, birthdays, vacations, lazy walks, talks over tea. You're bereaved because you've been robbed. Normal is no more and never will be again. Just as you think the beast of grief is gone, you hear a song that she loved. Or you smell the cologne he wore. Or you pass a restaurant where the two of you used to eat. The giants keep showing up. The giant of grief keeps stirring up, stirring up anxiety. Am I next? Guilt. Why did I tell him that? Why didn't I say that to her? Wistfulness. You see intact couples and, a, and, and, a, and you long for your mate. You see parents with kids and you yearn for your child. The giant stirs up insomnia, loss of appetite, forgetfulness, thoughts of suicide. Grief is not a mental illness, but it sure feels like one sometimes. He goes on to say, death stinks. Death stinks. I know some of you sitting here today have lost children, you've lost spouses. You've lost loved ones. One guy put it this way. He had lost his 14-year-old son. He had been shot by a stray bullet in a gun battle. He said, people keep asking me and my wife, how are you doing? And I really want to tell everyone this. Here's what I want to say. How do you think we're doing? Our son is dead. Our life is miserable, and I wish the world would end today. 
That's the way I really feel. Lucado said David might have used different language than again, maybe not. One thing for sure, he refused to ignore his grief. Look at 2 Samuel in the Message Bible, chapter 1. It says, oh, oh, gazelles of Israel struck down on your heels. The mighty warriors have fallen. They, they've fallen. Women of Israel weep for Saul. He dressed you in the finest cottons and silks, spared no expense in making you elegant. And then 26 and 27, I hope we have. Oh, my dear brother Jonathan, I'm crushed by your death. Your friendship was a miracle wonder, love far exceeding anything I've known or ever hoped to know. The mighty warriors have fallen. Oh my gosh, they've fallen. And the arms of war has been broken to bits. Lucado doesn't leave us there. He goes on to say, Paul told us that we are to grieve or to grieve differently than other people. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 in the Message Bible, and regarding the question, friends, that has come up about what happens to those already dead and buried, we don't want you in the dark any longer. He said, we grieve, but not as those who have no hope. Lucado goes on in this book, and he says something else I think is very interesting. He says, God has the last word on death. He will tell you the truth about your loved ones. They've been dismissed from the hospital called Earth. You and I still roam the halls, smell the medicines, and eat green beans and jello off plastic trays. They, meanwhile, enjoy picnics, inhale springtime, and run through knee-high flowers. You miss them like crazy, but can you deny the truth? They have no pain. They have no doubt or struggle. They really are happier in heaven. And won't you see them soon? Life blisters by at match speed. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath, it says in Psalms 39. When you drop your kids off at school, do you weep as though you'll never see them again? When you drop your spouse at the store and park the car, do you bid her a final farewell? No, never. When you say, I'll see you soon, you mean it. When you stand in the cemetery and stare down at the soft, freshly turned earth and promise, I'll see you soon, you speak the truth. Reunion is the splinter of an eternal moment away. As Paul said again, there is no need for you to grieve like the rest of the men who have no hope. So go ahead, face your grief, give yourself time, permit yourself tears. God understands. He knows the sorrow of the grave. He buried his son, but he also knows the joy of resurrection. And by that same power, you will also. Listen to me. Death is not the end. God has the last say. Look at 1 Corinthians 7, 14. If you're a woman with a husband who is not a believer, but he wants to live with you, hold on to him. The unbelieving husband shares to an extent in the holiness of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is likewise touched by the holiness of her husband. Otherwise, your children would be left out. But as it is, they also are included in the spiritual purposes of God. Look at that same verse in the New Living Translation, and I'll say something to you. For the believing wife brings holiness into her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. I want to say this for anybody who's lost their children to death. 
I believe that chapter teaches that our kids are made holy by the Christian parent and the marriage. If there's two, even the better. And that word holy or the word sanctified in 1 Corinthians 7 means set apart by God for special purpose. I believe with all of my heart that when you're Christians and your child dies and it looks like maybe they're not a believer in Christ, you must remember they have been set apart by God for special attention because of you. Because of you. And I believe if God can get them into heaven, he's going to get them into heaven. That's the way I interpret that scripture. You can argue with me, but that's the way I interpret it. For some of you, it's time. It's time to release your loved one to God. They're enjoying life in heaven. You've got to move on. See, I know there has to be, and I wish we could do something like the ancient Jews did, and even the Muslims have a pretty good habit here. They set aside a certain time to grieve. Like 11 months, I'll say a prayer for them every single day, and after 11 months, the grieving period is over and they move on. There needs to be a time set aside, and, and as Paul said, we can grieve, but we don't grieve as those who have no hope. It's a whole different time type of grieving. Look what David did at the death of one of his sons, 2 Samuel 12, 20. After the boy had died, after he died, David rose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, changed his clothes. He came to the house of the Lord and worshiped, and then he came to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. What did he do? Look, he, he rose from the ground. He said, I can't, I can't stay here and grieve forever. He washed himself, bathed himself in the Word of God, and started praying it and reading it and quoting it. He anointed himself, or he reminded himself that he was a man on this earth with a mission. He changed his clothes, got back into life, started worshiping God, and got back into doing devotions on and on. There came a time when he said, today's the day. The boy's dead. I'm going to have to move on. And look at the clincher here in 2 Samuel 12, 22, 23. He said, while the child was still alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, who knows? The Lord may be gracious to me, and the child may live. But now he's died. Why should I fast? Can I bring him back again? No, no. But I will go to him. I will go to him. He won't return to me, but I will go to him. Boy, what a way to end that. David also had struggled with fear and guilt. I mean, the guy murdered a man and had an adulterous affair with his wife. I mean, that's some pretty heavy luggage to carry around, don't you think? I mean, David, he was human. He had to go through those times where he, he had fear going, oh, I wonder who knows. I wonder if they know what I did. Oh, man, I, I wonder if they're out there talking. I, oh, man, I wonder. I, I hope nobody knows. I think I did a pretty good job hiding it. Oh, man, if they find out, man, that might be the end of my whole reign as king. Oh, man, you know he struggled like that. Look at what David says in Psalms 32, 3 through 5. He says, when I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was drained as with the fever heat of summer. Selah, stop and think about that. I, then I acknowledged my sin to you, and my iniquity I did not hide. 
I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave me even for the guilt of my sin. Stop and think about that. We talked about it last week. If you're dealing with depression and all this inner turmoil, you must come to a place where you get it out. You've got to talk to somebody. Remember, mold grows in dark places. You've got to get it out. You've got to go to someone and say, here's what I'm dealing with. Pray with me. It might take every amount of energy in your body to do it, but you've got to get it out. You might have to get it out every day. When you talk about stuff, that's part of your healing process. Stop letting the devil manipulate you through fear. I get so angry with Christians today who gossip about others, usually other Christians, who fail. I mean, it's just, you know, they go on the internet, did you hear about so-and-so? Yeah, I heard about it. Oh, did you hear about Tony? He committed adultery. You don't say, Tony committed adultery. Tony was in church. I can, Tony, did you hear what Tony did? Sally, she's now a drug addict. Did you hear? No, I mean, I saw her down in Union trying to score some drugs the other day. I mean, she's, she's, you know. Jose, fired his job. You know why? Pornography. Isn't that pathetic? That's just plum pathetic. Sonia, she stole $500 from her employer. At least that's what they told me. I'm kind of friends with the employer. They said she stole. I know she said she was sorry, but can you believe it? She's singing in the choir. She stole $500. Would you just stop it? Every one of us are sinners. Every one of us need the grace of God, so please stop talking about others when they fall. We all need grace. Just because their sin's bigger than yours and different than yours, you're a sinner every day probably. The Bible says when you know to do something good, you don't do it. You're a sinner. We've got to stop talking about other people who fall. Look in the mirror every day. I, I, I see a guy right here that needs saving every single day. You say, but I don't do that. You know, I'm holy and righteous. No, you're sinning right now by that stupid, arrogant spirit. That's probably a worse sin than what they sin by. It's probably worse. Get off your self-righteousness. We are sinners saved by grace. Today, I'll probably sin before the day is over. Little sins are equal to big sins. Yes, now don't hear me wrongly. We need to make people in high places accountable for their sin. Accountable. But don't hold it over their heads. Love them in the healing. So I'm balanced. I think VBF is a pretty balanced church. But David, guilt. I'm sure guilt. He kills him. I said it before and I'll say it again. What's David going to see when he sees your eye in heaven? What's he going to say when he sees your eye in heaven? Oh, no, here comes Uriah. I killed him when he's on earth. Oh, man, can I walk the other way? Maybe I can hide behind this angel here, you know. And what do you say to a guy? You killed him on the earth. <laughs> yeah. You know what I think? I think heaven's going to be so great, you won't even give it a second thought. You'll say, man, I'm, I'm just disappointed I didn't get here sooner. So David struggled with depression. Look at Psalms 51. For I know my transgression. My sin is ever before. It's before when I go to sleep. It's what I wake up. Against you, you only have I sinned, God. 
I've done what is evil in your sight, so you're justified when you speak, and you're blameless when you judge me. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, in sin my mother conceived me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then, when you do, I'll teach transgressors your way, and sinners will be converted to you. (sighs) I'm telling you, David struggled. When David was good, he was really good. And when he was bad, he was really bad. Let's go back and begin to turn the corner today so we can close this thing. And this is, this is the brunt of the message. Let's go back to a time when David was most right on with God. Because I think those characteristics in him when he was right on with God carried him all throughout his life. I don't think they left. Now let's go back to the story that you all know so well, David and Goliath. Now, I'll kind of paraphrase the story in the beginning. God's, God's people were fighting their enemies, the Philistines. The Philistines were the bad guys. God's people was the good guys. There was a problem. The bad guys had a giant almost nine foot tall, and the good guys didn't have a giant. And so in this particular battle, they said, this is the way it's going to go. Our best guy will fight your best guy. Whoever wins that war, the other country will serve them. So we're putting forth our best guy, <laughs> nine foot, 450 pound giant named Goliath. Now you go find your best guy and we'll fight and we'll see who wins. Sounds pretty good for them, huh? Now, God's people were afraid, we're told. They didn't have anyone who could take on this giant and no matter who they put up, it was going to be a mismatch. I mean, I showed you a picture one time with this guy. He's like, he's probably this wide and nine foot tall. I mean, this dude was huge. Now, along comes David, and David was a known slinger. I didn't say swinger. I said slinger. There's a big difference. Now, Israel's army, along with some of the Romans and the Greeks even, they had slingers on the front row. These guys were good. What they would do, these slingers had slings, and they'd usually do them like, like a softball pitcher under arm. And they would sling these projectiles the size anywhere from a golf ball to a pool ball. They were made out of sometimes sun-dried pottery, uh, lead or clay, hardened clay, and we're told they could hit targets as far as 100 and 150 yards away. These guys were good, and they were very accurate. Now, these projectiles would travel at a speed sometimes up to 100 miles per hour. Think about getting hit with a golf ball or a pool ball, traveling at 100 miles an hour right in the forehead. And maybe something with clay with sharp edges on it. And it wasn't, it wasn't soft and round like, like some of our balls. Think about that. Someone said they were as accurate as a 45 long colt. They were accurate. They said even if these projectiles didn't penetrate the armor you were wearing, they could cause fatal internal injuries. Now David was a slinger. Now with that in mind, let's pick up the story in 1 Samuel 17, 20 through 30. So David rose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. Jesse was his father. 
And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going in and out of battle array, shouting the war cry. And the Philistine drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And he was talking with them, and behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath, named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. Basically, what he was saying was, come on, bring a man out and fight me today. Come on, you little cowards, come on. And if you whip me, we'll serve you, and if you whip us, we'll serve Come on. And every time he'd come out and make this taunt, it says the men of Israel, when they saw him, they, they ran away, and they were afraid. Men of Israel said, have you seen this man? He's mammoth. Surely he's coming up to defy Israel, and it'll be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches. He'll give him his daughter and make his father's house free of taxes in Israel. And David spoke to the men who were standing with him, saying, well, can you pass up by me again? What'll be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? And then he kind of shifts gears. But for, for who is this uncircumcised Philistine? that he should taunt the armies of the living God. The people answered him in accordance with his word, and they said, thus it'll be done for the man who kills him. Now, Eliab, his oldest brother, now David was too young to be in the army, and his three older brothers were in the army, and Eliab's the oldest. And when he heard David talking like this, Eliab's anger burned against David, and he said, why have you come down? Come on, come on, why are you here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence, I know the wickedness of your heart, for you've come down just to watch people get killed in battle. That's who you are. And David said, what have I done now? Was it not just a question? Now, now get this part because I'm going to come back to it. Then he turned away from him to another. And he said the same thing, and the people answered them the same thing as before. David was pretty caught up in this reward. It's kind of like a double blessing. What'll happen for the man that does that? Whoa, he'll get enriched. Plus, I got God on my side. I'm going to fight a spiritual battle and get physically rewarded too. Woo! Kind of the same thing I did when I went in the ministry. I thought, man, I get to preach God, and I get to, I get to lay hands on people and pray for them, and I get a salary, and I get to do it for a, a job. Whoa! So, you have the scenario set here. God's people are afraid. They didn't have anyone who could take out this giant, no matter who they came up with, it'd be a mismatch. Along came David, the known slinger. And uh, listen to this in, in, in Judges 20, 50, 15, 16. I forgot to give you this. In Judges 20, verse 15, 16, can you go back to that verse, please? From the cities on that day, the sons of Benjamin were numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword. And besides the inhabitants of Gibeah, who were numbered 700 choice men, out of these 700 choice men were left-handed. Each one could sling a stone at a hair and not miss. So, so this was in the army here. So David's doing kind of this trash talk saying, hey, I can take him on. I can do it. Bring him on. Bring him on. You know, uh, who is this guy anyways taunting the armies of the living God? Who is he? Well, Saul heard about David's, you know, boasting and about his attitude. And so he says, bring him here. I want to talk to this young man. Look at verse 31 through 33. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for David. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will all go a fight with the Philistine. 
Then Saul said to David, you're, you're not able to go against Philistine. You're just a kid. You're just a little kid. He's been a warrior from his youth. David says, ever told you a story about the bear and lion? A bear and a lion came and tried to attack my father's sheep, and I killed him with bare hands. Come on, dude. Come on. Think this giant's any tougher than a bear or a lion? Then look at verse 36. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be toast. He'll be, he'll be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. Now, in David's mind, he knew that with God on his side, there's no way he could be defeated by this giant. He knew with God on his side and his ability to be a slinger, he knew that this giant was too big of a target to be missed. He knew that he knew that he knew. With God and his ability to sling, this dude was dead meat. Now, David talks Saul into letting him fight the giant. He kills the giant with a stone. The rest is history. Now, let's, let's apply some of the lessons out of that story to our giant. Our giant today is not Goliath. Our giant's depression. It's inner fears that we, we can't get over. It, 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 it's regrets. It's the grief, the loss of a loved one. Our giants are all inside of us. They're trying to ruin our lives. So let's apply some of these principles to our Goliaths. Number one, and I'll be quick because we're almost out of time. David redefined the battle. That's what you got to do. He basically says, this is a spiritual battle. This is not just a physical battle. The enemy is trying to taunt the armies of the living God. I thought it was interesting. There's an aerosol repellent called trichlorothane, and it's used in spray cans in many household cleaners. It's toxic when it's used improperly. In the early 80s, teenagers were sniffing it, and they were, they were using it to get high, and, and there were kids starting to go to the hospital, and they were dying from it. And the label on the can clearly warned of death or, or serious injury if inhaled, but they ignored it. So the company who was getting the lawsuits about this decided to change the labeling. And they put down, if you inhale the substance, it can cause hair loss and facial disfigurement. And the kids stopped using it because they care a lot about the way they looked. They, 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 he, this company relabeled. Uh, sometimes we need to redefine our battle. The devil wants to use your depression to destroy your life because he hates you. He wants to use your depression. He wants to use your inner fears and all the inner struggles going on. He wants to use them so you won't be a good parent, so you ignore your kids, so you won't be a good Christian, so you'll fail in life, so you'll fail in being a witness. He delights in your misery. And you have to reframe this and say, hey, this is a spiritual battle. My children can pay for this. Others can pay for it. I, I must get myself together and I must fight this. This is a war against darkness. We must go to God and ask Him to heal us. Number two, David refused to listen to negative people. Eliab said, get out of here. You're just a troublemaker. And you know what David says? He turned and walked away from him. Ha, <laughs> ha. Did you hear that? He turned and walked away from him. Not only did Eliab start talking down to David, Saul said, so you're just a kid. Goliath says, what are you, a puppy dog coming at me with sticks? Everybody was trying to demean him and say, you know what, you're a nobody. Some of your closer people around you might say, oh, you got to live with it. 
you have to go to the doctor I went to, and you got to get these meds, and nothing wrong with meds. I said it last week. Sometimes God will use meds to heal you. You just have to read the side effects, okay? Be careful. But you're no different than the rest of the people out there. It is what it is. You got to turn and walk away from these people and say, no, I'm a child of God. I'm a child of God. And God is my healer. And when you start speaking to me negatively, I'm going to do what David did. I'm going to turn and walk away. I've got to have faith. I've got to have people who will cheer me up, or not cheer me up, but people who will encourage me and tell me that I can do this. Number three, David approached the problem in the power of the Spirit. 1 Samuel 17, 45, I hope I gave this verse to you, I did. Then David said to the Philistine, you come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. It's time to get desperate and go to the altar. Maybe you tried everything else for prayer. You need to go to the altar and say, God, today I'm going to choose to believe that you're my healer, and I'm going to come to this altar, and I'll be here every day until I see myself on a healing journey. You're going to have to get tough. I, I don't want to be redundant, but I was going to tell you some stories about me when I switched from being, feeling sorry for myself to being tough and what happened, what the results of that was. So you've you got to be tough or tougher. Approaching the Spirit. Number four, he used praise as a weapon. Look at verse 46, 47. This day, he's praising the Lord ahead of time. The Bible says we're to pray with thanksgiving. This day, the Lord will deliver you up into my hands. And this day, <laughs> I will strike you down. Now I'm going to remove that big old fat head on your shoulders. This day, today. And I'll give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there's a God in Israel. Hallelujah! That's what David did. I'm coming at you today, and it's going down, dude, and you, you're going down. He's praising the Lord before it even happened. He's this day, it's going to happen. I give God the glory before it even happens. It's going to happen. Wow, and it did happen, just the way he said Praise before the victory. Attitude means everything. Ray Johnson, pastor back east, tells a story. One day he was in a restaurant, and this little boy is asked to say the grace over the food. He's with his mother. And the little boy raises his voice very proud. Father God, thank you for the food, and thank you for the ice cream if mom gets us some. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> some self-righteous lady over there was really... Puffing and puffing. She couldn't keep her nose in her own business. She says, hey, little child, you don't pray for ice cream. That's wrong. You don't pray for ice cream. I got two more points yet. <laughs> They're bringing me to an end. <laughs> They're trying to rush me. Back to my story. <laughs> Self-righteous lady. She goes, you don't dare. You don't dare pray for ice cream. That's sacrilegious. Your mother should have taught you better. You need to pray for hurting people and things like that, not ice cream. And so Ray Johnson who was a pastor at times, so I couldn't take it anymore. I scooted over and got myself between the lady and this little boy. And I said, you know what, buddy? That was a good prayer, a good prayer. God cares about that. Because you know what, buddy? Ice cream's good for the soul. And so he looked at the lady, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. And he went over and told the waiters, you bring that boy the biggest bowl of ice cream he's ever seen. 
And when the waiter brought the boy, the little boy said, without skipping a beat, took the ice cream, put it right on, put it in front of that lady and says, you know what? He just said ice cream's good for the soul. My soul's already good. <laughs> attitude. Stay with me, attitude. And then the last two real quickly. He remembered the past faithfulness of God. He said, if God gave me the power to beat a lion and beat a bear, he'll give me the power to beat you, dude. And sometimes we forget. God's been in your life. You got to remember. Sometimes when you go, why, 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 how, you need to just remember. Some of you, he saved you off drugs. He saved you out of jail. You should still be in jail today. He saved your marriage. He healed your body. He brought you out of financial crisis, financial crisis. Why would he let you down now? He's faithful. Elijah made that mistake. Elijah had raised the dead. He'd called fire out of heaven, and he forgot the past. The same God that saw you through that will see you through this. So you got to keep your eyes on him. you got to keep praying. Last, I'm out of time. He decided that today was the day. Listen to me. David could have come out and said, you know what? You're dead meat, dude. In two days, on Wednesday, about five, I'll meet you out here and fight you. I'm going to go limber up and practice up a little bit, you know. He could have said, I'm going to get you someday, not today. Today's the day of salvation, the Bible says. Today's the day. You need to decide today. You need to come up with these prayer people and say, I want you to pray right now that God will set me on a healing journey with this depression and this fear and this regret, all this inner turmoil, that he'll set me on the road to healing today. And then believe it. I'm going to end with, not end, but I gotta, I'm going to say something after. <laughs> look at this podcast we did last week. It, 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 it talks about today. Take a look. You got your mama's sunshine. The question uh, from an atheist perspective is, if God exists, why does he allow bad, bad things, things to happen? happen? Right. And, that, and, 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 I, and I think that's where people's mind go immediately is like, what, what, how, do, how can God be real? Or what, what do I do when these circumstances that I thought, you know, and you've heard this probably before, Pastor, I thought God loved me. I was going to church. I was doing all the things I thought I was supposed to be doing. And then life hit me. Um, you know, how do we respond to that? I'm going to ask you a question. Okay. Does God ever allow or will bad things to happen for his children? Are they really bad? Or do they just look bad to us? Right. When things well, don't work out, are they really not working out? So or are I had they a, not working out according to our perspective? I had an interesting thought uh, this last week because I was uh, looking up some of these um, old saints and martyrs. And they talked a lot about divine suffering, whereas we in in modern times rarely talk about suffering. Hmm. But there are scriptures that basically say that we ought to pick up our cross and follow Jesus. And so you, we have to go through suffering. Um, I talked about my depression and, and the, the, the difficulties I've had the last couple of years. Um, that <clears throat> disease has caused me had caused me to be 
a very difficult person. I caused a lot of heartache for my wife. I caused a lot of heartache for uh, even even my children. I caused a lot of heartache for my friends um, because I was in pain. And so pain was a thing that we were all feeling. And, and, and at some point I had to ask myself, how am I acting this way? How am I doing these things? How am I being this person when I'm supposed to be somebody else? And I'm not saying that it was divine suffering, but I am saying that my choices, which were very negative and I hurt my wife, I made bad decisions. Um, my choices were, uh, something that God allowed me to make. And then he allowed me to feel the pain of it. And so in that pain, I knew I needed to make some changes. And then through, like you said, my wife, she's been amazing. She's been, uh, very encouraging, but she's also been very truthful to me. And she has, she has helped me understand the importance of getting help, uh, from specific people. And so when I was in the middle of this, actually I was in like a, a pinnacle of pain. I was, I was in a hotel room and I was like, man, I, I'm so depressed. I'm so down. I don't know what to do. And I just felt this little whisper say, go back and fix it. And so I got in the car and I drove back and then I prayed and asked God what, where to go, you know, um, at the behest of my wife, uh, your, yourself, some other people. I, I prayed and God put uh, the state of Washington on my mind. And I ended up Googling Washington and through the pain and not wanting to leave and be away from my family for a full month, which meant I was going to miss Father's Day, right? Fourth I of mean, July. You, I, right. you and I hung out on Father's Day because you drove me to the airport at 4 a.m. Um, and then I got on a plane. I missed Fourth of July. There's a picture of my daughter just looking at the fireworks. Like I missed that moment. But the truth is, is that in pain, I was making bad decisions that were making it worse for me and for the people around me. But it was through that pain and through that um, disappointment and through that frustration that God has taught me so many new things and things that are going to be with me for the rest of my life. Maybe things did work out. Josh decided one day it is time to stop the merry-go-round. Now in closing, I do want to just leave this with you. It's time for you to say no more. Josh came in and looked at me and said, Dad, I'm going away for 30 days. I've dealt with this for years and I can't deal with it anymore. He said, today's the day. I'm making the call today. I'm getting this program today. And sometimes the devil always puts on our mind, manana, manana, manana. Some of you walk in here, hear this message today, and you'll walk out and you'll be the same way next week. I don't know what God's going to do in your healing journey. He might cause you like Josh to go to a 30-day program, say, I'm not coming back till I'm well. Or he might do it a different way. But you need to get prayer and say, the journey starts today. I said last week, I don't know which service I said it in, but in God's economy, In Genesis, it went from evening to morning. He starts at dark, and then he brings morning. God usually starts big works in the darkness. And today, you need to come up and get prayer, stand in line up here. Hopefully, the prayer people will take your name down, and we got counselors that will see you. We got, they're not really counselors, but they're, they're life coaches. They'll see you and help you through this. You need help. 
And if you make the declaration, say, put me on a healing journey, God might lead you to a doctor who has a, a really good pill that has not many side effects. And he might put you on that and it might replace your serotonin or whatever. Or he might lead you down any pathway. I don't know. But, but let today be the start of a new day. As I said to one of the services last week, I don't remember which one, that tonight at 11 o'clock it'll be dark. At 1 o'clock, the, the, the clock will change from one day to the next day. But I won't be able to see it. The new dawning is coming, but I won't be able to see it because it still looks dark outside. still looks like yesterday, but it's not. It's a new day. And so you got to do this in faith, okay? i got so much more to say. Either I'll come back next week and finish it, or I don't know what at this point. i got to go talk to God and see where we're at. Let's pray out this right here. Father God, today, there are people who need to say, like Josh said, it's time now, it's time now to start getting on the healing journey. If it's no more than coming up and getting prayer, we need to do that. If you've never been born again, then right now, just repeat this prayer after me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. If you've never been born again, just pray in your heart or you can whisper it and say, Lord God, today I come to you. I give my life to you. I ask you to send the Holy Spirit and come and live in my body and give me the power I need to change. I give my life to you today. When I walk out of this building, I know that I'm now God's kid and you're now my healer and I'm your child. Thank you for receiving me. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. See you here, there, and the air. God bless. Thank you for listening. We pray that this message has ministered to your heart. If you don't already have a church you call home, we invite you to join us at Valley Bible Fellowship for worship, Bible study, fellowship, and more. We're at 2300 East Brundage Lane in Bakersfield, California, near Mount Vernon and Freeway 58. Reach us by phone at 661-325-2251 or visit our website at vbf.org. Here is our King, here is our Lord.